Gateway is a place where we love everyone life by life. That means you are important to us, and we want to help you along in your spiritual journey. Life by life also in this season is a reminder that we want to do more across the planet than we could ever do on our own. Uh, We can do that together. In fact, last year at this time, we had a goal to try and serve a bunch of refugee families, and we blew right past that goal. In fact, let me give you an update from last year. Let's watch together. In 2022, you, Gateway, gave $100,000 to the Love Refugee Project. Our goal was to serve 100 refugee families. Through your willingness to love, serve, and give, we far exceeded our goal. As we end 2022, we invite you to join us in giving and serving through the Life by Life Project to serve our global partners. Behind every dollar given is a need met, a community impacted, and a life changed. I think it's so amazing to set a goal and to go beyond it, right? We wanted to help 100 families, instead helped 175. Yeah, you can give yourselves a hand. I heard a little whoop out there. When you came in, you received this card. I want to encourage you at some point today, take a look at the website on this card or pick up one of these. If you did not get a brochure or booklet from last week, then pick one up today. And I want you to spend some time looking through it. And you'll be amazed at how together we're able to make such an impact in places like the Ukraine, in places like Haiti and India. In fact, you saw one of our goals is to train pastors in India. I'll be on that trip in January. And so appreciate your prayers. But what we're trying to do together, all our campuses, if we can get above and beyond all of our budgetary needs, our goal is to try to have $100,000 to help with these new projects. And you'll see these new projects listed on this postcard or at the website, gatewaychurch.com slash life by life. And as you're praying for these folks that you see in the brochure or on the website, also ask God to guide you. Ask him, God, what do you want me to give? Maybe it's to start giving. Maybe that's not been a part of your experience. Maybe it's to start giving regularly, or maybe you're giving regularly and you want to give above and beyond. We've had people sell property and give what they made in that towards God's work through our church. We've had people sell stocks, even get rid of Bitcoin in order to help what God is doing here. And so if God puts something on your heart, we believe that as all of us respond to what God puts on our heart, we'll be able to accomplish more than we could ever ask or imagine. Just because people have asked at Gateway South, last year we together gave $200,000 just in the month of December, which is remarkable. And that not only helps us, you know, certainly with taking care of the bills and salaries and ministry budget, but it was, enables us to do what we do overseas. This year our goal is 260000 for South Austin. So pray with us what your part is to give. And Gateway Dripping Springs, by the way, if you didn't know, they're joining us for the next few months. We're excited to have them here as they're looking forward to launching. Yeah, you can give them a hand. They made a 20-minute drive, 25 minutes. But pray for Gateway Dripping Springs as they're looking for a new location 
with hopes of launching at Easter. And in order, you guys, just so you know, your goal is closer to $200,000. And that's a lot of money. But it's in order to hire the folks we need and buy what we need. And it doesn't have to all come in this month. In fact, if you want to give towards life by life in Dripping Springs, that's your launch fund. So just know that as you're praying, you can look online, you can give at gatewaychurch.com slash give or through the Gateway Austin app. Well, one of the other advantages of being part of a church uh, that has many campuses is we every once in a while get to stream from our North Campus. Today we'll hear from John Burke. He wrote a book that was a New York Times bestseller. He sought after a communicator all around the world, and we get to hear from him today as we continue our series, Christmas Around the World. And it is an encouraging and inspiring and challenging message today that I know you'll enjoy. But we wanted to start with a story, or several people's story. You see, Jesus' birth is absolutely a great gift from God. But it wasn't some sort of plan B. It was always the plan. And it's not just for the chosen people, but for the whole world. In fact, God blessed a people to be a blessing to all people. And around the world, people celebrate Christmas. So we brought together some of our own from here in Austin to share about what it was like growing up where they were celebrating Christmas. Let's watch. So in your culture, what role did family play in Christmas? So uh, where I'm from in Kingston, Jamaica, family is, Christmas is family, right? Other than Christmas being about Jesus, Christmas is family. So if you have people that live far away, they all come home. Um, And essentially, I have a very strong memory of my mother right before, maybe a week or two before Christmas, taking like a tally of all the people who were coming home and if they were coming to Christmas dinner. And then she starts shopping. So she does the meats, right? Goat meat, the oxtail, the chicken. Do we want this? Do we want that? And essentially, that big buildup is you're prepping all this food so you can eat. Christmas time, it's just eating. We come together and we start cooking and then we eat. And when we're done eating, you may take a nap, (laughs) and then you just kind of head over to neighbor B's house there and you eat some more and over to C's house and you eat some more Um, but this it's this joyful um, wonderful time where it's just just getting together around food that's that's the beauty of it for me for for us in in Chihuahua Mexico so Mexican families are, are huge so my grandma had 13 kids and my mom has a lot of siblings scattered all around the continent so there's people in Canada there's people in the states there's people in different parts of Mexico but they all had to come to grandma's house on the 24th and stay all the way to the 31st so it was uh, an amazing time because it didn't matter if it was a good year or a bad year or or is someone fighting with somebody they all had to come they all had to eat and they all had to be there because of uh, my, my, my grandma. So we would live in this little village between the, the mountains and it was pretty cold and it was always raining, but 
when you open up the, the, the little kitchen door, it was always just like they were warm and cozy and everybody was laughing and everybody was sharing the huge amounts of food that my grandma prepared for, for, for Christmas. That's wholesome because um, in Nigeria, it's kind of like similar. So people from all over the like you like travel all over the world but for Christmas you'll come back home so people come they start traveling back to the eastern and mind you the bus are expensive <laughs> so everybody hiked the price so for they start coming back home from like the 20s and they didn't leave until after New Year's so everybody can go back to work and yeah. it's holidays so the bank won't even be open <laughs> we'll stock <laughs> so on Christmas Eve people we go to church you know we have the candle service and um, we go back home then on Christmas Day people I mean we wake up and the older ones will start cooking and jollof rice is a staple <laughs> so everywhere you'll see jollof rice and live chicken so they kill the chicken you know skin the chicken and start cooking the chicken or fry the chicken so the kids if you don't have any clothes throughout the whole year they will buy you new clothes on christmas so we wear new clothes then we go to church and come back again then start eating then like you said circles food <laughs> so we go to different people's house and taste their food and eat so many things but jollof rice you will always see in everybody's house and we, uh, my parents or my mom can like my dad can pack food for us, then we take it to neighbors and they give us food. And people do appreciate it because some people don't cook on that day, so they eat the food. And it's really, really amazing how Christmas brings everybody together. People from all our different campuses coming together to talk about growing up in their different country or culture but how Christmas is always about family. And that's what we're talking about today. That's why we're joining together from all our campuses, whether you're in Branson, welcome. Uh, we, from North Austin, South Austin, Pflugerville, all, you know, Dripping Springs, we're all joining together as one church family as we talk about this. Because, you know, Christmas has always been about family. You know, you will probably sit around a table maybe like this one and family will gather this Christmas, and there'll be laughter, and there'll be memories, and they'll be teasing one another, and drinking, and eating together, and celebrating what really matters about Christmas. And then, of course, you have to take the family photo, right? The perfect Christmas family photo, and, and you'll try to get it into post, you know, maybe something like, like this or this, and, you know, I don't know if you've ever tried to take the perfect Christmas family photo. <laughs> it doesn't exactly work like that. It, lo it looks more like this at the end, right? It's a, it's a kid takeover. I remember when my, when my children were little, um, there was a, a photographer, professional photographer here at Gateway that offered to do our, our perfect family Christmas photo. And so we decided, okay, we'll do it. And we we're going to take it in this beautiful outdoor nature scene with a big Christmas tree behind us. And, and so the day came, Saturday morning, and, um, you know, Kathy lays out all of our clothes to make sure, you know, no one goes and grabs a shirt from the dirty clothes with jelly stains and dirt all over it. So once she got me dressed, then she started working on the kids, you know, and, um, and, and got us all dressed. But by the time that happened, we were late because it wasn't that easy, right? And so now we're going to be late. And, and, and somebody who was driving was a little frustrated that we were late and said something that hurt someone in the back seat who started to cry. And you can't have a perfect family Christmas photo with tears and red eyes. 
So we had to pull over and patch up hurt feelings and get some visine in the eyes and recomb the hair. And anyway, by the time we get to this nature place, finally find it, um, we're set to go, but we're late. So we get out there. It's a perfect day. I mean, this beautiful December blue sky, December day, winds 35 to 65 miles an hour. Yes, a norther had blown through. And so we go from pose to pose to pose and you know, our, our perfect Christmas looked like the perfect storm. <laughs> I mean, literally like hair blown back, cheeks are flapping, you know, it's like a wind tunnel. And we finally had to abandon it. And we didn't get the perfect photo that day. We had to go plan B and go another day. We finally did get a great Christmas photo, but it didn't happen exactly as we'd planned. And you know, God's plan for family turns out to be a lot like that. You know, God created the idea of families from the very beginning. In Genesis 1, it says God created humanity, and then he said it's not good for them to be alone, and he places them in families. And God's plan was to show his love and nurture and care and development of people from parents and from generation to generation that they would sit around a family table like this. And, and as you sat here, you would feel loved. You would feel valued. You would, you would feel built into and encouraged and, and championed, right? That was God's original idea. And maybe some of you are already scoffing because <laughs> you're like, well, it didn't exactly go that way. I know. And Genesis 3 and 4 remind us why. People rebelled against God's plan. They didn't follow his way of being family together. And it says Adam and Eve decided to go their own way. And as a result, it affected their children. And Cain and Abel were brothers. And, and, and they got jealous of one another. And, and, and so, you know, they, they started to hate each other, wanted to kill each other. And it's like we call that sibling rivalry now, right? But this was sibling homicide, literally. It, it was bad. And the pattern continued. Strife and division in individual families. And then within all the people God created to be his children as well. Across nations, division, strife. But Christmas and family have always meant to go together. God cares deeply about individuals. And he cares deeply about restoring his original plan of family. In fact, even in the midst of all the breakdown and mess, God says this, father to the fatherless, defender of the widows. He says, that's me. This is God whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely in families. You know, maybe you didn't have the family God intended. Uh, maybe you've been through heart-wrenching family breakdown of your own. Maybe you're feeling isolated and alone this Christmas, and I hope you hear God's plan is still for you. He is the father to the fatherless. He is the defender of those who feel attacked or left alone. He is your God if you're feeling lonely. He wants to help you come into even a new family. Turn to him this Christmas season. I want to encourage you to do that. Whether it's to seek reconciliation or restoration in a broken family or whether it's to find help to love the hard to love in your family. 
or find a place in his new family. He cares for you deeply. He cares for all families. We can't miss that. And maybe, maybe you have missed that. Maybe you've never realized how Christmas and family connects together. But you know, God set in place a plan to restore broken families from the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 12, he foretells that first Christmas, actually. In Genesis 12, he creates a family out of Abraham and Sarah that they would bless all families on earth. Look at what it says. He tells Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and all families on earth will be blessed through you. So through this one family, God's plan was to create an entire nation, the nation of Israel for a purpose. You know, we sometimes hear that, the, that Israel or the Jewish people are God's chosen people. And that can be very misunderstood. Chosen doesn't mean more loved than others. It doesn't mean better than others. It means set apart for a purpose. That's what chosen means. Set apart for a purpose. And the purpose was to bless all families on earth, all nations. How? Well, two ways. First, the nation of Israel was, was set apart to preserve God's self-revelation through prophets. And so if you read the Old Testament, there are all these, these laws and these ways of making them separate and different than the cult, way cultures and families typically go. And it was for the sake of raising up prophets that God would speak through to reveal his history, his words, his character, his will and ways so that all people could know that. And that's what we've been given through the scriptures, that God was preserving to bless all nations, his will and ways and his heart and character. But the second way that, that this nation would be chosen to bless every family would be through the Messiah that was going to come through this chosen nation. And the Messiah was going to come to rescue and to restore. That's what Savior means, a, a rescuer, a restorer. And, and this Messiah would rescue us from a life separated from the very source of love and life, the, the very originator of family. And then as he paid for all of our wrongs to restore us, to, to be right with a, a heavenly father, then that heavenly father could lead us to restore what's been broken in our families of origin. That was God's plan, and to create a new family for God himself. So Christmas, of course, is the celebration of the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, or Christ. Christ is the same word for Messiah, the Greek word for Messiah. And this was foretold through many prophets. I've told you about this many times. David, you know, Isaiah, Micah. But the very last prophet to foretell what God was going to do was, was Malachi. Malachi would write, and then God would be silent for 400 years until that first Christmas. Some people, you know, think it's Malachi, the first Italian prophet. No, it's Malachi, and he was Jewish. And look at the very last thing recorded in God's word before the first Christmas. Malachi 3. God said to Malachi, I will send my messenger, and here he's talking about John the Baptist, who will prepare the way before me, and then suddenly the Lord, literally Yahweh, Yahweh, God, who you are seeking, will come to his temple. His temple is in Jerusalem. 
The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And then look at this. The last thing in the book of Malachi, he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Do you see God's desire? God's desire is that he foretold blessing all nations, all families, and it would happen that first Christmas. That's where it would begin, and he would restore the hearts of children to their parents and parents to their children. And by the way, this, this doesn't say only small children need apply, right? This is teenage children. It doesn't say teenage children, well, you're, you're hopeless. Or adult children, will you get a pass? No, all children to parents and parents to children. That's God's heart. His work is a restoration work because he cares deeply not only about each person, but he cares deeply about our families. You know, I, I um, had the privilege of interviewing uh, a man, Santosh Akarchi, uh, a few weeks ago. And uh, for those of you who don't know, I wrote a book called Imagine Heaven. I've studied over a thousand cases of clinical death when people are then resuscitated, and they say commonly the same things. And I wrote Imagine Heaven to show how it aligns with, with the Bible, what's said all along. Well, this happened to Santosh. Santosh grew up in India. Hinduism was all he knew. And uh, he was a manufacturing engineer, traveled the world, very successful as an engineer, ended up living in Ohio. Um, but this same thing happened to him. He had become agnostic, you know, through his engineering and schooling and all that. And he had a, a day when his heart started beating 200 beats per minute. He goes to the hospital, finds out after much testing that his, his gallbladder had erupted into his pancreas. They couldn't get his heart rate down in order to do surgery. And he codes. His heart stops. No brain waves. And like commonly happens, Santosh said he left his body. He was seeing them working on him on the table, and then this brilliant light, brighter than a thousand suns comes, and he knows this is God. And he says, I instantly fell in love with this God of light. And this God takes him to this place. And Santosh describes looking out over what he calls this giant, marvelous, beautiful compound. He calls it a compound with very high walls very thick walls, and inside this beautiful landscape with mansions everywhere. And then he sees angels and people, and he sees angels guarding these 12 gates that are all the way around. And then he says, I knew I was looking at the kingdom of heaven. And he's also shown hell. He's shown this outer darkness. And, he, and he's troubled because... He definitely doesn't want to go there. It's helpless, but all 12 gates, he feels, are closed to him. And yet he knows this is where he belongs, in this place, this city, this marvelous compound. And he's troubled, and he looks to his right, and there is a throne. And he sees God, and he knows he's God, but now he's in the form of a human. And he describes what John says in Revelation 21, he describes the risen Jesus and he looks in his eyes and, and immediately he has a life review and he sees all of his life, the good and, and the bad. And he falls on his knees and he starts saying, Lord, forgive me, forgive me. Because he realizes all the things he's done wrong and he realizes he deserves that. But he feels mercy and he feels compassion. And the Lord says to him, I'm gonna send you back. I'm gonna send you back 
but you must love your family. When you go back, you must love your family, especially your daughter. She needs your help right now. And Santosh felt such love and mercy and compassion from this God of love and God of light uh, that was showing himself in this form that he, 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 he said, I want to go into this city when I come back. And then he sees to the right of his throne what he calls a very narrow gate that was open. And he could see into the kingdom of heaven through this very narrow gate. And he asked the Lord, he said, when I come back, I want to go through that narrow gate. Tell me how. And the Lord said, I want relationship, honest, sincere relationship. Not one day a week, 365, 24-7, walk with me. Well, Santosh is resuscitated and he comes back. And he said, he knew all the Indian gods. And he said, this God was not like that. He said he was personal and, and merciful and kind. And even though I deserve this, he, he had compassion for me. He was like a best friend. And he kept seeking. He, he kept praying. I want to know who are you and how do I go through that narrow door, that narrow gate? Well, two years later, his daughter, who was a, a vocal major, was invited to sing with a friend in a church Easter service turns out to be a, a church that one of our former staff members' brother actually works in in Ohio. And he goes to the service to see his daughter sing, and the pastor is speaking on the narrow gate and how Jesus is the gate through which we must enter into the kingdom of heaven. Santosh comes to faith in Jesus, and he is a dear man. But when I talked to him, you know, he told me, I, I, I my main goal is to love my family well. And he talked about how it's not easy because they've rejected him for becoming a Christian. They're still Hindu. He said, but I need to love them with the unconditional love of God. That's not always easy. We need God's help, but God cares about our families and how we treat our families. You see, God is, is not only building your family, He's building his own family. And he's trying to teach us then around, around a table how to act like his family. We can come back to our families of origin and be a healing presence. So think about your Christmas table. You know, what, what thoughts come to mind? Maybe, maybe when you think about coming together this Christmas, you know, you're, you're ecstatic because there's going to be laughter and celebration and fun and teasing each other and drinks and, and food and it's going to be a big party. Well, you know what? God is at your table, and he's celebrating with you. Thank him this Christmas. Thank him that that's what you've been given. Or maybe, maybe you're at the table, and you think about the one who's missing because of broken relationship. And I want to encourage you to know God is at your table as well. And if you'll seek him this Christmas, he wants to give you wisdom in, in how to pray in, in how, to, how to pursue or maybe how to wait to bring that broken relationship back to restoration. He cares about that. Or maybe as you think about your table, you know, this Christmas, maybe you're dreading it because of that nasty, obnoxious, politicizing, warmongering uncle that always sits over there, Right? Well, I want to remind you too, God is at your table. Just ask him to silence him. Yeah, that's what we would like, but he doesn't actually do that, does he? 
No, here's why. Because God respects the free will. But what he will honor is your will saying, God, I need your help to love this uncle. I need your help. Because remember, friends, it's not hard to love lovable people. It's hard to love our enemies. And that's what Jesus said, that that we can become like our Father in heaven as we let him help us love even our enemies. So pray for that this Christmas. You know, maybe as you think about sitting around your table, there's, there's sadness because you think about who's missing. And there's grief. But God is at your table and he wants to comfort you this Christmas. Or maybe you're, you're single or single again and you wish you had a large table, but it's just you this Christmas. But remember, God is at your table. You're not alone this Christmas. And God also says that he leads the lonely into families. And I want to remind you of that. God's not just trying to rebuild our families, but his family. And you're invited. We're all invited to God's new table. You know, Christmas was about Jesus coming because God wants to build a family. And your nuclear family may be a nuclear explosion, but he still has a family, a new table, God's table, where he's trying to connect us as people, as humans, as brothers and sisters to a new father. There's a table for you. It's called the church. And not a big gathering like this, a table where you're known and loved and celebrated. You know, it's interesting because Abraham, the promise to Abraham connects to the first Christmas, connects to what God's trying to do through our church today with a new family. Look at what it says in Galatians 3. It says, the real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. What more, the the scriptures look forward to the time when God would make the Gentiles, that's the non-Jewish nations, right in his sight because of their faith, because of their trust in God. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. And that blessing is that all people from all nations are children of God by faith. When we put our trust in what he's done for us, he adopts us into his own family. If you don't understand this, that's what God was doing at Christmas. Jesus was gonna come and sacrifice his life to pay the extreme price for your adoption into his family. That's what he was doing. But he won't adopt you against your will. He only adopts those who want adoption into his family. That's why it says in John 1, 12, but to all who believed him and accepted him, received Jesus, received what he did for them, his forgiveness, he gave them the right to become children of God. Have you done that? This Christmas season, if you want to be in his family forever, tell him, just say, I want what Jesus did to count for me. God, I want your forgiveness. I want your love. I want your guidance as my eternal father. When you accept God's offer, he says God's spirit comes to be in you and to live with you and to guide you, and you are in God's family. Look at what it goes on to say. It says in Romans 8, those who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again 
to fear. God doesn't want you living in fear. Just the opposite. You've received the spirit of adoption, and by him we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself assures our spirit we are God's children. You know, Abba in Aramaic is like the word daddy. It's this intimate relationship God wants like a parent to, her, to his child, to his daughter or son. See, God has revealed his heart, and his heart is that of a parent. Do you realize that? You know, it's so important to understand God is not a general giving orders to his troops. God is not a cop busting people for breaking the moral law. God is not a dictator looking for subjects to serve him. God is primarily a parent looking for loving relationship. Walk with me, he says, 24-7, 365 days a year because I care for you. And I care to restore what's been broken and damaged. And that's what we have to remember. He's, he's at the table with us to lead and guide us to restore what's been broken and damaged between us and God, but between us and each other. I remember there was a woman who came to our church and she confided in, in, in me and Kathy um, that growing up many times she would get locked in a dark potato cellar anytime she did anything wrong. And it could be for the littlest infraction. Sometimes she didn't even know what she did wrong. She'd be locked in this dark potato cellar sometimes for hours, sometimes overnight. She had never really known love. She didn't really trust anyone. She got married and then discovered that her, uh, her husband cheated on her. She forgave him and took him back and then later discovered he had been cheating again and again and again. She came to our church an atheist because a friend invited her. And it was about six to eight months. I don't remember how long exactly after that she gave her life to Christ. And she told me why. She said... You know, I never believed that God could love me if there even was a God. And yet she got involved in a small group, like one of our community groups. And she said, I felt loved and accepted and, and cared about, even though she said, I had all these doubts and I had all this anger and I'd spew it on them. And, you know, I'm smoking and I'm cussing and they're just loving me. She said, they loved me to God. See, that is the... That's the table that God is setting in his church. He's trying to provide a place because many of us need the parental love of God. We missed out on things. There were things that got taken from us or damaged, and yet God is trying to create a new family where, where we live by God's new rules. And if you've never read the Bible, this is why you need to because God gives in the New Testament all these one another's. Have you ever, have you ever read them? It's how God wants us to treat one another in his church as we gather together and get to know each other better. He says, love one another, be devoted to one another, forgive one another, accept one another as Christ accepted you, encourage one another, share with those in need one with another, speak truth to one another, but do it in love. Don't let the sun go down on your anger with one another, but be reconciled to one another. This is the heart of the Father for you and me as his children. We're brothers and sisters of a new daddy. And he wants to teach us to act the way he originally intended, to restore what's been broken. And then we can go into our 
family of origin tables and be healing forces. Now, obviously, we can't live out these one another's if we're disconnected. We can't live out these one another's just sitting in a big auditorium or, or watching online unless we choose to find a table here at his church to connect with others who are his family, to know and to be known. And you can do that wherever you are, even if you're online. You know, we have groups online. We have community groups here. We have restore groups. We have serving groups. And I want to encourage you to connect in one of those. You know, we can't be what God intended us to be disconnected from one another. Eugene Peterson, who uh, translated the Message Bible, says this. And I thought it was profound, especially for our age. He says, there are Christians who say, I love God, but I hate the church. He says, but they're members of the church just the same, whether they like it or not, whether they acknowledge it or not. For God never makes private secret salvation deals with people. His relationships with us are personal, yes, intimate, yes, but private, no. No Christian is an only child. No Christian is an only child. We're family. We're brothers and sisters. We're meant to be that way. God, Jesus came that first Christmas to restore us right related to God because he wants us right related to one another. We can't do that unless we come together. That's why the book of Hebrews says, let us think of ways to motivate one another toward acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another. And that's why I want to I want to challenge you this Christmas season. You know, many of us have, have kind of gotten in, in COVID habits. You know, we've kind of gotten disconnected or isolated. We still love God. We're following God. But we're just kind of like, eh, church, I can take it or leave it. But you're not thinking about church, right? Church is meant to be family, God's family. Gather together where we know each other. So when we show up on our campuses, so we can show up saying, God, who do you want me to encourage today? Who do you want me to pray for? Who do you want me to demonstrate your kindness to? Or maybe it's to show up because you need that. And say, God, lead someone to be your hands and feet to me today. I need that. And then when we get connected into serving groups or, or community groups, then we really can get into each other's lives and we can learn to live out these one another's because it heals us all. Well, we wanted to be together in all of our campuses across Austin, but also around the world to celebrate communion today as we close because we are his family. We're one family and communion is the reminder of that. And I wanna encourage you, if you didn't get one of these coming in, just raise your hand on, on all the campuses. Someone will give you a, a communion cup. Um, if you're at home, go grab something to eat and something to drink real quick. And let's, let's celebrate this together because you know what's amazing? We're gathering as God's family, not just in Branson and North and South and Central Austin, but in Norway. We have people in Norway and in Germany and in India and, and in France and Canada. And we're joining together as brothers and sisters. And we're remembering what our father did for us when he sent Jesus. 
before we take communion, I just want to encourage you as well. You know, we do open communion, which means you can willingly take it, but we want, we want you to know what it's about. It's remembering, it's saying, I have taken in what Jesus did for me. Maybe you never have told him, Jesus, I want what you did to count for me. I want your forgiveness. I want adoption into your family, God. Tell him right now as we pray. Let this be your first real communion. You might have eaten and drank at a church before, but it means nothing until it means something in your heart. And if, if you're not there yet, take a pass, you know. Don't, we don't want you to do something just for show. But let's remember together. Let's pray. God, as we celebrate communion, we thank you for the Christmas season when we remember that you sent Jesus into the world your arm reaching into our world to restore us to be right with God so that we can be right with one another. You're healing what was broken. You're creating your family to heal our families. And God, some of us want to tell you right now, we want that. We want adoption into your family. We want what Jesus did to count for us. I want your forgiveness. I want your leadership, God. Come be my father. Just tell him that in your heart. And he says, that's all I needed, your willingness. And God, we want to be your willing children, willing to remember what Jesus did for us sacrificially so that we could be sacrificially loving toward our families this Christmas and all year long. And so we celebrate and we remember you, Jesus, in this season. You know, the night that Jesus was betrayed, right before he went to the cross, he sat around a table just like this with his closest friends, and he said, we're not going to eat and drink together until we eat and drink in the kingdom of heaven. It's a real place. It's a real family that's going to gather together. But that night, he took bread and says he broke it, and he took a cup of wine and he said, this bread is my body broken for you. You can go ahead and get the, the bread out. And he says, every time you eat this together, remember me. Remember what I did for you to forgive you. Let's eat the bread together. And then it says, after dinner, he took the cup. And he says, this cup is a new agreement that God is making with all humanity. That my blood is going to be poured out for the forgiveness of all your sins. And every time you drink it, remember what I did for you. Let's drink the cup and thank him. God, we do thank you. We thank you for Christmas. But Christmas was not just about the baby Jesus born in a manger. Christmas was about the God who from the very beginning had a plan to restore what was lost and broken for every person and every family on earth. God, help us not forsake what you were trying to do to heal us so that we can be healing agents in the world. And sometimes, Lord, you got to remind us that Jesus had to 
laid down his life. It was not easy to be a reconciler and a restorer. And it's not easy for us many times to head into our families, to do all we can to reconcile and restore. But God, we want to be that family and we want to be your family to one another. So lead us in this season, God, that all year long we might be your sons and daughters who love with your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.